Welcome back to officially unofficial episode 29 brought to you by FMRU Fit Me Right Up. It's an online clothing shopping experience that uses advanced technology to match users to their perfect fitting clothing using only the camera on their smartphone. Uh, you can visit them at fmruclothing.com. We are here with a special guest, man. This guy is a Seattle Mariner. I tweeted about a couple days ago, this guy just turning on 101 miles an hour, launching it over the right field fence, not a big deal, whatever. He's a former LSU Tiger and current Seattle Mariners outfielder, Jake Fraley. What is up, Jake? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm fired up to get you on because I saw that video and I'm like, I saw the tattoos. I saw the mustache. You look a little bit like you're a WWE superstar. I was like, I got to get this guy on the podcast. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. I, I'm trying to go for that intimidating look, so I'm hoping it's working. Well, I'll be honest. If I'm a pitcher and I, I see you step up to the batter's box, hopefully with maybe a dip in this season, we'll see. I'd be scared <laughs> out of my boots. Uh, yeah, I don't know about the dip. I'm, I care too much about my teeth. I respect that. I mean, you're. I mean, you got the tattoos going. You got the muscles going. I mean, I, I definitely respect you not going with the with the dip. It's fine. It's for guys like me. So let's get into it. You're, I said you're an LSU guy. Not a big deal. Another pretty elite school, SEC. And I just want to mention what you did to pitchers in that conference. You should be in prison for the, the thing, the balls that you launched off of those guys. Talk about your career at LSU because I, just just playing baseball in SEC school, that's usually known for football. What was that like for you? Um, I mean, I tell everybody whenever I get asked that question because, I mean, obviously LSU is a very big baseball school. Um, you know, they have been for many, many years. And for me, man, it was, it was such a huge blessing. Um, it was, uh, the best decision that I could have made coming out of high school with, uh, kind of the decision to go pro or to go to college. <clears throat> and I, if I had to go back, I'd make it 10 times out of 10, the same decision going to LSU before going to pro ball. And, um, I mean, it, it obviously had its benefits, too. I mean, we, we definitely took full advantage of, of uh, you know, the football games, especially the home ones, um, and uh, all the good stuff that goes along with, uh, with college football. So can we call LSU a baseball school? Let's just change the narrative a little bit and call it a baseball school, not a football school right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. You, you got one of the best colleges in, in, in baseball, um, and uh, – I mean, not only with the talent, but also the attendance. I mean, we—they've been leading uh, the entire nation in attendance for—I don't—I can't—I don't know the exact number of how many years, but it's—it's it's been quite a few now. And um, I mean, they—it's definitely a football school, but they're definitely not lacking in the baseball industry. And let's let's talk about the baseball team a little bit here, because you guys—I feel like the baseball team at LSU kind of gets overshadowed with the football program. You guys are like definitely one of the best SEC baseball schools in that whole conference. What what was the teams like that you kind of went at it with? Because for people who don't really know that much about SEC baseball, what's the other best team besides LSU? I mean, when I was at school, it was always, uh, it, I mean, our, our big rivals were, was always Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Um, I mean, there's, that conference is so good. I mean, you got, I mean, you really got like a revolving door um, with a handful of teams that, I mean, whoever's playing good at the right time ends up being, you know, that team that comes out on the top in that conference. It's, I mean, that's why, you know, a lot of guys, uh, you know, want to go to a, a conference like that. I mean, it, it's the best thing that prepares you for pro ball. It's the closest thing to big league pitching that you're going to get in college baseball. Um, and obviously, I have a little bit more of a biased opinion as opposed to some other conferences. And 
I mean, I stand by that. I, I believe, uh, obviously, you know, playing in it for three years, that it is the best conference in college baseball. And, um, I mean, I, I think the numbers are there to show it. And I think the talent that comes out of that conference every single year to pro balls proves it as well. Yeah. And how, how much pull do you have at this school? Because I have a question after you answer how much pull you have. Um, you... You, you do you you have you have all the pool in the world um with a school like that that is definitely not you're definitely not going there for academics um <laughs> you, you you're definitely there for for sports so i mean your top two you know sports at that school are you know obviously football and then baseball and um i mean most of the time both of those teams are together a lot, uh, not only, you know, working out and stuff, but also, you know, outside of the field. Um, a lot of us are always together. So, you know, you get pretty close with each other and you got some big time stars on both both teams. And so whenever you go out, you uh, or, you know, whatever you want to do, whether it's restaurants or anything, I mean, you. So let's say, you know, a guy who played two years out of junior college and hit below his body weight. Do you think you could get him a scholarship at LSU? I'm not, I, I might be talking about me. The listeners know who I'm talking about. It is me. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, could you get me a scholarship to become a Tiger? I could definitely put in a good word for you. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I could definitely uh, maybe fly out there and sit down with Maneri and kind of, you know, shoot things around the room a little bit with him. But I'm going to be honest with you, at the end of the day, man, they – the reason why they are so good is because they do their homework. I mean, they the guys that come in and out of that school are unbelievable. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. I always say there's nothing a 20 can't fix. <laughs> so this is what I wanted to say. So hypothetically speaking, like I said earlier, I'm just the morale guy. I'm the guy that's good in the locker room that's going to keep the guy's hopes up. No. I'm not going to play on the field. Just If you're going to throw me a scholarship, maybe give me a kind of a student manager scholarship where I could tell people at the bar that I play for LSU baseball. That's all I want. Oh, no, of course. I mean, you got – they have uh, – they got new student managers uh, that coach first base every year. And um, you'll, you'll get in there. And, I mean, you are on a scholarship. You know, they pay for your school. And you definitely take full advantage of that when you go out. You're definitely telling everybody you're on the baseball team and you're a part of that. Yeah, and exactly, and and that's the biggest thing that I'm wanting because I, I am I'm uh, like a college baseball free agent. I don't have a favorite team right now because all of the teams that I'm about to mention have refused to let me throw out the first pitch. I'm talking about you, Minnesota. I'm talking about you, Michigan. I'm talking about you, Purdue. All of those programs are dead to me as of late. You guys could revive yourselves, but I'm looking for a team that's going to be pedal to the metal officially unofficial johnny june to fans and if we can make that happen with lsu i'm a pro lsu guy i might even have to say go tigers like coach O every single game i'll just tweet about it i'll be just a big lsu baseball guy yeah after everyone we'll have to make sure you get an interview yeah and let, let's hear let's hear your impression i don't know if you're good at impressions but let's hear your go tigers by coach O because i'm <laughs> dialed i want to hear it all right um go tigers that see that's what i'm talking about i feel like when you go there it's just an obligation to know how to say go tigers when you're at the school did you happen to did you happen to see the football guys because you weren't there when joe burrow was there obviously who's may i mention he probably has more like just the most kills of all time there with girls were you guys close with the football team when you were at when you were playing baseball at lsu no, no, yeah, you are. Um, like I said uh, a couple minutes ago, we're we're always working out. It's a little bit different now because the baseball team actually has uh, their workout, um, you know, their their own gym at the at the stadium. When I was there, 
They did not. So we, you know, when I was there for those three years, we were always with the football team constantly. Um, so, yeah, we're very, very close. I remember my uh, my freshman year was when it was Odell, um, Jarvis, um, and Mettenberger's uh, last year there. And, um, I mean, it was some of my coolest memories because whenever we would go out, you know, as a team, um, we the football team and the baseball team kind of had a designated bar that we would go to every single time we'd go out. And uh, whenever you pulled up, you always knew if Odell or Jarvis were there because they both had their um, – they're whited out uh, Mercedes and, and Jeeps and Chargers that are out in front with the black rims. And so it was, uh, that was a pretty <laughs> cool experience, especially, and obviously what they ended up turning into. I mean, everybody knew they were going to turn into that when they were in college, but, um, you know, at the time, I mean, it was, like I said, it was some of my fondest memories, you know, freshman year, just being this kid trying to, you know, make a name for myself at a big college like LSU and being able to experience that. Yeah, what what other schools were looking at you? Because if you get offered from LSU, that means you're just a dog in high school. You kind of got that bad boy look going for you. Like I said earlier, you're like a WWE superstar. That's how you look. You just happen to mash baseballs. What other schools were offering you out of high school? Because you probably had more Division One offers than anyone in the country, probably. I uh, I had quite a few. I started getting. Uh, I got my first college letter my freshman year of high school. Um, and from that point on, I, I mean, I was getting, the, you know, letters every single day. Um, and then, I mean, I know you know how baseball works. I mean, you don't have, you know, official visits that they're able to pay for like football. So, you know, me and my family kind of had to break it down to, you know, what I really wanted to go visit and actually use our, you know, time and money to actually go do that. And, you know, when I finally broke it down from all those letters to the schools we actually visited, my final three were LSU, Miami and Maryland. What was it like to turn down Miami? Because Miami, I, I said this about Arizona last week to when I uh, to the interview we had. Miami is the hot spot. It's the spring break spot. You got the best looking women in the nation besides ASU, besides Arizona. What was that like to to say no to the University of Miami Hurricanes? To pretty much say no to Alex Rodriguez's face. Like I don't like your school. I'm done with you. What was that like? Um, it's actually a funny coincidence because I turned it down. Um. And then, what was that? Uh, that was sophomore year, so two, so five years later, I ended up uh, moving to Miami. Um, I now live in Miami for the last four and a half years, and I met my wife, who is was born in Cuba, and then came over to Miami when she was nine with her whole entire family. So, all of my connections in baseball after that decision all ended up pointing back to Miami. Um, so, a little funny coincidence, but. LSU was a spot, man. I couldn't turn that down. Yeah, I, I would never turn down LSU or the Bayou. Do you have any funny stories about just ripping the bar with the baseball boys, or just how, or just like hilarious stories about playing for LSU? Just, I mean, <clears throat> probably. I mean, one of my favorite all-time stories uh, was my sophomore year, uh, the year we went to Omaha, and uh, it was so that was Bregman's last year. Um, that was one of my uh, you know, best buddies in college and still to this day, um, his last year as well. And we had just won the Super Regionals at home. Um, and so we all go out to the bar. I mean, we have, like, so the way LSU works, uh, it has this little, uh, you know, area that's called Tigerland, and it has, like, six, seven bars that, you know, the entire university goes out to. Um, it's kind of like this, you know, little general, general area. You can kind of bounce from bar to bar. 
and there's two that are right next to each other that we always, you know, like I said, it's a designated kind of football and baseball bar. And uh, we had both of those bars completely um, bought out for just us and anybody else that we wanted to let in. Um, everybody got in for free, free drinks all night, um, whatever you wanted, no matter how much you wanted. And so we're there. Game ends, I don't know, probably around like 11. By the time we get there, it's probably 1130. We're there until I want to say like 3 o'clock. I mean, just you can imagine. I mean, we just won Super Regions. We're all going to Omaha. We're going freaking crazy. And we, me and my buddy, like uh, Chinea, um, and Bregman actually lived at the house too. And so we're all getting ready to, you know, thinking that is, you know, time to go home. Like everybody's, you know, really, really messed up. Everybody's tired. And all of a sudden Bregman gets on the, uh, and I'm like, let me remind you, dude, there's like, there's probably like three to 400 people here between these two bars. And they have this microphone system set up that goes across to everybody and outside. So everybody can hear. And we're all, you know, thinking about we're getting ready to leave. And then all of a sudden Bregman grabs the mic, gets up there, you know, super messed up like slurring his words and he's like everybody and he gives out our our home address he's like (laughs) the after party is going to this place blah blah blah. here's the address and me and Shanae were like no he did not just do that (laughs) and we're like okay it's three o'clock in the morning maybe not so many people are going to show up like there's no way that this is this is going to be that bad like people are probably you know i mean half the people are probably passed out behind the bar already And so we're kind of like, you know, crapping our pants here, getting ready to get into the car. And we're like, it's like a pretty close um, to our apartments and like close enough to even walk. Um, And we all get there. And by the time it's probably like a three minute drive. So we leave the bar, go get something to eat from like a fast food restaurant. So it's probably like 20 minutes from us leaving to when we get to our house. Bro, we get to our house and there's at least 150 people there that are outside in the streets waiting just for us. <laughs> I was like, dude, this is about to be the, the the stupidest night of our lives. And so we end up getting inside. Obviously, I mean, we got the party keeps going. Turns out like there's probably every single person that was at the, those two different bars all came to our house. It got so bad to the point to where we had um, neighbors that were calling the cops constantly on us because they were like, dude, it was literally the whole cul-de-sac of the neighborhood. And um, eventually helicopters helicopters got called in. Uh, so we had helicopters flying all over the, the, um, the house of where everything was. We had like SWAT cars coming in. They had to break up the, the whole entire party. Um, and all of a sudden... Uh, Obviously, everything you know ends up ending there. And the next morning, uh, we actually make the paper for the party that we had. <laughs> so we had like five or six guys that had to go into Maneri's office and explain to him why we had a helicopter flying over our house for a party. And all that. I, I mean, Maneri, no one got in trouble. Maneri was like, dude, like, I mean, we, you guys got to freaking get your shit together. But like, we understand we're going home and you guys had a good time. But it was an absolutely like it was an epic night. Like I don't remember that movie. What's that movie? Project uh, X. Project X. Dude, it was the closest thing that I could describe to. It was absurd. Yeah, and and when you're like an LSU baseball player, I feel like the cops are like, all right, all right, we get it, we get it. 
But did did Bregman, who how, how what, disgusting at baseball, like nasty when yeah. he was at LSU, did he even get like? What do you say to that guy? You can't bench him before the super, like before the college World Series. It's just a little slap on the wrist, maybe twenty push ups. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, no, nobody got in trouble. Uh, I mean, the cops were just, I mean, they knew it was a baseball party. They knew exactly what was going on. I'm sure, I'm sure half of those guys were either at the game doing security and watching it on their phones or on a radio or something. Like, all of those guys are LSU fans. Like, they know all of us. Like, they weren't there to kind of, they were kind of more there just to make sure that none of us were going to get hurt. Everything was controlled. Excuse me. And then, um, you know, just to make sure that everyone was able to, kind of get home and kind of secure the situation a little bit. So nobody got in trouble. Like, and like I said, Maneri understood. I mean, he, he was obviously a little frustrated because I mean, obviously that brings, you know, attention, especially, you know, a, a nationally, you know, known school like LSU. Um, but I mean, he understood. I mean, and that's why, you know, I mean, he had really good feel with that. Yeah. And is there one school in the SEC that you hate the most? Is It, it has to be Alabama, obviously, or is it a crosstown rival? Ah, man, no, it's not Alabama, at least when I was there. When I was there, man, it was like I I would have to go between A&M and Ole Miss. Um, I mean, we would – and for me, it was was also like whenever we – for my three years, whenever we played like A&M, it was always like one against two or two against three in the country. So there were always like huge, huge games. So there was always a lot on the line, which obviously played a big part in that. But – like Ole Miss, whenever you go to their place away games, I mean, you feel like super disrespected all the time. Like the fans, plus you know, a lot of the players, at least when I was there, were you know kind of fed into it as well. So kind of like put that extra chip on your shoulder when you're playing against them. Yeah, and you know what's crazy? We always get A and M. Like every guy I usually asks, like it could be like Oklahoma State, and they'll say we hate Texas A and M. I don't know what it is, what it is about that school that why everyone hates them so much do they have kind of like a cocky attitude or are they just dickheads they're dude they're just good i mean think about it every all the best teams they everybody hates them um True. Like, it's just how it is i mean they i mean in order to be good you got to have that cocky confidence about you um it's just a matter of how you kind of express it and i think I think a lot of a&m guys the majority of the time kind of express it in that very arrogant outgoing way yeah, and so let's let's talk about your junior year. You get drafted to the Tampa Bay Rays, which is kind of weird because you're on the Mariners right now and why they would trade a guy that they obviously invested a lot in. Who were you – who did they trade you for? No, no, no. I was uh, – so I was traded um, not last November but the November before, so two Novembers ago. And uh, I was traded for um, – me and Malik Smith um, were traded for Mike Zanino and Heredia. Um, I don't remember his first name, Dreddo Heredia or something like that. Um, so it was – at the time, I was in the minors. Um, so it was three big leaguers, and then I was the one minor leaguer. Okay, so you, you weren't the player to be named later because I feel like that's no. the biggest, like, jab at someone is just naming them the player to be named later in a trade. Yeah. Um, I would honestly love to get a guy that actually is was the player to be named later in a trade. That would be kind of cool. I don't know if you know any guys like that. We can maybe get that set up. When you get traded to the Mariners – was that kind of like a – were you thrown off guard or did you know a trade was going to happen from your agent? Yeah, no, I had no idea. Um, uh, when the season was ending, um, you know, obviously me and my and my agency sit down and kind of go through the year. And, 
you know, where I, you know, the team, the team stands as far as, you know, what I did that year and, and kind of where my place is and where they see me going forward, all that good stuff. And I mean, everything was in line for, you know, the Rays love you, you know, you're in the future plans, you had a great season and, you know, they're fired up about, uh, you know, the following year. So I went into that offseason not expecting anything. And um, that November, uh, I don't remember exactly what day it was, but um, I was actually, <laughs> everybody was asleep at my house. It was like probably like 11 o'clock at night. I was actually doing yoga. Uh, I was kind of <laughs> stretching out and doing uh, some like mobility stuff uh, from my workout earlier that day. And I got a text from, <laughs> I got a text from my agent while I was doing downward dog. Um, and he, uh, he, he sent me a text and said, Hey, but, uh, just to give you kind of a heads up, you're in some trade talks with, uh, the Mariners. And I was like, Holy crap, are you kidding me? And obviously right away, my mind went to, well, the Rays, you know, didn't really hint or express any, you know, want or need to trade me. So I was kind of confused at the time. And he was just like, stay posted to your phone. So it was probably like an hour and a half more than that. It was probably like 12.30. And I get a call from our um, from our uh, field coordinator for the for the Rays. And he was like, hey, uh, this was at like 12.30 at night, almost 1 o'clock in the morning. I uh, just wanted to inform you, uh, you know, you were just involved in a trade with those guys. And he was like, you can trade it to the Seattle Mariners. And I was like, damn. And this was at 1 o'clock in the morning. So I go and inside after I get off the phone with him and – I wake up my wife and I'm like, hey, I just got traded. And she's jumped out of her bed and was like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, like, she's like, because, dude, the baseball world is, I mean, and I know obviously you play ball. So, like, you get an understanding of that. But, like, dude, in pro ball, it's just so crazy how everything changes in just the snap of a finger. Um, and, like, just in that moment, you know, it goes from being a two, you know, a short two-hour drive to spring training to a six-hour flight across the entire country as far east to as far west because we're in Miami. And it's just it's just nuts. But, yeah, so I ended up being traded and, you know, got on the phone with my agent after that and, you know, soon to come find out that it was actually uh, – I was actually a big piece of that trade. The Mariners were actually – came to the Rays and sought out me above everybody else to make that trade happen. They – they came to the race for me specifically and then pieced everybody else around it. So, uh, you know, when you hear about that, especially being a minor leaguer, like I said, being involved with, you know, all of the other big leaguers, it's a big deal. And then also to hear, you know, that you were kind of more of a centerpiece to it all was, you know, very great to hear. And, you know, it gives you a lot of confidence going into that new organization. Yeah, and, and that, I love that little humble brag you had, had in there, just low-key job. Like, you know what, yeah, I, I was, they wanted me in the trade. And to be honest, I would kill if a team wanted me in a trade. If a team actually would have traded for me, they probably probably would have got a, a package of White Claws and maybe a couple bats, <laughs> just some shitty, but maybe fungos. I couldn't even imagine actually getting a trade for a human being because that yeah. would be just the opposite of a blockbuster. Actually, it would be what blockbuster is now, which is dead, which is broke. So you're on the Seattle Mariners, a way different organization than the Tampa Bay Rays, a little bit different, different scenery across the country, pretty much. You're so far from Tampa Bay. What was that adjustment like for you to kind of move organizations from the Tampa Bay Rays, who are like top five in like prospects in the in Major League Baseball, to the Mariners, who also has a pretty good prospects, but just a little bit different scenery, a little bit different of an organization. What was that like, the transition for you? I mean, it was, you know, just like any other transition, there's a lot of new stuff that you got to, 
kind of relearn as far as, you know, how they're structured, how they run things. It was a lot of new faces to learn, a lot of new names. Um, you know, last spring training being my first spring training with them, you know, was a lot. Um, you know, I was in big league camp. I was on top of trying to learn, uh, like I said, a bunch of new faces and kind of like a whole new system of how, you know, they work and what makes them tick and, you know, what they like to look at, look for in players and how they teach things. And um, it's been absolutely awesome, uh, to be completely honest with you. It's, um, you know, I butted head, heads with a lot of guys uh, with, you know, on-field baseball stuff-wise with the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, specific to hitting um, and kind of how I, you know, take care of my business and how I, you know, what I believe is the right way to swing the bat. Um, and with the Mariners, you know, they're pulling in the same direction as me. So, you know, going into that organization with that right off the bat, it was so refreshing, uh, you know, because I was able to go out on the field every day. And like I said, having them pull in the same direction as me is huge. I mean, as a player that allows you to relax, it allows you to, you know, have a little uptick in confidence uh, on top of the confidence that you already have in yourself. And then, you know, it allows you to just go out and relax and, you know, do your thing because you know, you know, what you're doing works for you and they believe in that too. Um, so for me, that was a, that was like the deal breaker with me when I got there, man, I was just so refreshed and I was like, man, like this, this is going to be this is going to be a great spot for me. Yeah, and this is a question that probably you've never been asked before. This is just my dumb brain going at it. My dumb brain just the mouse in my head working here just spinning around. When you get traded from the Mariners to the Rays or from the Rays to the Mariners, what happens with your Tampa Bay Rays gear? Like where does it go? See, this is a great question by the way. This is I'm a great surprised I've thought about this before. Thank you. I appreciate that. Where does it go? Is it just chilling in your closet? There's some scattered shirts among the closets, but uh, I have uh, I have three of my closest buddies um, that I grew up with back home, and honestly, most of it is with them. Uh, I mean, I give all of it away to them uh, when I see them or ship it to them, whatever the case may be. So there's a lot of people back in my hometown repping Tampa Bay Rays stuff as well as Manor stuff now. <laughs> and, uh, I got a you know a little shirt scattered here and there that I don't you know wear anymore, but that's a yeah that's a good question. A lot of it's gone. I mean it's just you know it's off in the wind. It's old news. <laughs> it's just at the out of Goodwill in uh, Miami. There's just a shit ton of Tampa Bay Rays yeah. stuff from James <laughs> Fraley. This, this is also another cool question that I have, and I this is just the research analytic guy that I'm going at it here. Take a guess at how much an autograph Jake Fraley. Bowman Chrome Draft Blue baseball card is. Take a little guess. Is it the one with the Rays? Yes, it is with the Rays. Nah. Uh, $50. Oh, that's wrong. See, it's $132.04. So, I mean, $17 shipping, which is. <laughs> It literally doesn't make any sense. <laughs> baseball card. We got $17 shipping with $132 for the Jake Fraley card. So someone's making a little bit of a uh, little bit of coin off your signature. Do you realize or do you know when you're signing autographs for someone, are you looking at this guy like, I know this coward is going to sell this card on eBay? Do you know that? Yeah, I mean, we're all aware of it. Um, you know, it does suck. Um because at the end of the day, like when you have guys, I mean, you, you kind of get the gist, you know, after signing so many autographs, you kind of get a feel for, you know, what guys are genuine and what guys aren't. Like if you have a guy that you're seeing repeatedly, 
like, dude, I've already signed like 10 things for you. Like, I'm not, you know, you're doing this because you, you know, you're trying to get a little paycheck out of it. But, um, you know, then you do have, you know, your some guys that just have, you know, like one or two cards, which I don't get me wrong. Those guys can be selling them too, but, um, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it, it just comes with the territory, you know, that's just what people are doing. You know, everybody's trying to make a quick buck and, uh, you know, if they love, you know, sporting events and, and collecting those things. But, you know, there are those, you know, guys out there and girls out there and, you know, a lot of kids that are, you know, collecting all that stuff. And, you know, as a player, it's, you know, it's an honor to be able to, you know, be asked for that. And, and we take a lot of pride in that and in making sure that we're there to sign those things. But, I mean, it is, definitely is in the back of all of our minds that, you know, the, a lot, quite a few of these guys are, you know, just trying to make money. And, I mean, they come out and they want you to sign, like, a blank piece of like white paper and i'm like dude i'm not signing that <laughs> like all it all you have to do is like put something like a film over top of that and then you have my signature that you could just like put on anything you want i'm like what is wrong with you people like if you want me to sign something get a picture at least <laughs> yeah I, and that's the thing that's crazy to me is just some some major leaguers actually sign the blank paper like these guys could put it on a check and say yeah. Jake Fraley is sending me his signing bonus because he just likes yeah. me so much. He's going to send it to me. Yeah, no, no, 100%. Especially with how crazy the world is these days. Like, I mean, you, you don't don't put it past anybody. Yeah. And so let's talk about the spring training because you've been just buzz, buzz, buzzing in the spring training lately. Let's talk about that absolute moonshot you hit turning on 101 miles an hour like it's slow pitch off a tee like you're playing coach pitch. What was that? What was running through your head when you see an 100-mile-an-hour fastball and you're like, this is slight work. I'm going to send this in the, I'm gonna send this ball into orbit. What runs through your head when you see that? I mean, to be honest with you, it's just blank. I mean, it's, it's all muscle memory. It's, it's reaction. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, once you get to – I mean, it, it depends on certain guys because certain guys got heavier or lighter balls, you know, when they throw them. But, I mean, once you hit, like, the majority of the time, 95-plus, but I would say more on a safer side, like 90, once you hit 97 and above, like, it looks all the same. Um, okay. there, there's no big, big difference as far as, you know, what you feel in the box. So, and nowadays, I mean, dude, every person that runs out there is throwing 95-plus. It's absolutely incredible. Um so, I mean, it. you just get up there and you close your eyes and hope to God you hit it. <laughs> See, that's what I did my whole career. And luckily, I have horrible eyesight hit below my body weight, like I stated earlier. <laughs> um, this is something that I – this is more of a personal question. Is it? I saw this on your Twitter, and like I said, I could be wrong. I thought someone's dad played in the big leagues, and he was just playing coach pitch with him. So this is this could be completely wrong. Do you have a child? This is something that I was wondering. I just wanted to see if my research was right. Do I have a child? Yes. Yeah, I have two. Okay, so this this is this is a segue to my question. This is my brain going out again, the mouse spinning. Should we consider dad strength a PED? Because you have two child you have two children, which makes me kind of think he kind of has a little bit extra extra stuff going on in the body there with the dad strength. He can lift a little bit more. Should it be considered a PED? Uh, that's funny you say that because everybody on the Mariners makes they all call me dad and uh, yeah whenever they come whenever they see me in the morning or FaceTime me in the off season they all say what's up dad but I mean it I mean I I did once I started uh, once I had my son was when I really started jumping off with hitting a lot of home runs so you might be onto something. 
Yeah, and I, I obviously, I'm not going to look at the stats of this because I'm not the brightest, but I want to see your stats pre-child compared to post-child because <laughs> your rookie, your freshman year at LSU, you hit 372, whatever. Yeah. Is that good? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I, did you have the child your freshman year? Because I'm starting to think that the, the dad's strength came into play freshman year. <laughs> no. no, man, but he's he was up here. He's up here. I was thinking about him. So maybe it was translated a little bit. You honestly, this, I might have to make a shirt for you. You are the first father we've ever had on this podcast. So I, I don't know. Congratulations. This is an honor for me to interview a dad that just mashes baseballs. Thank you. I appreciate that. Does your son know that his dad is like a big leaguer and his dad plays professional baseball? Yeah, he does. Uh, he's, he's about to be three uh, in April. Um, this uh, probably last, like toward the middle to end of last year, he kind of really started getting a, a more of an understanding of um, kind of like what I do and really excited about it. So my son actually, it's funny, um, this whole, excuse me, this whole offseason, me and my wife kept wondering like why on earth is he, like he keep telling us like, mama, papa, I want to go home. I want to go home. I'm like, dude, you are home. What are you talking about? We've been home for months. And finally, we realized that once we were getting to the end of the offseason, we were getting ready to leave for spring training, that his idea of home is being away watching me play baseball. Like, that's his idea of home. And, like, his biggest thing every day – I mean, we go to sleep every night, and he'll be sitting there. He watches, like, these little – these educational videos that um, he likes to watch. And um, right before he starts getting to that, every single night, he's like – Papa, we're going to go to the baseball field tomorrow, right? We're going to go to the baseball field. We're going to go play, right? And I'm like, yeah, dude, we're going to go play. You're going to watch Papa hit a home run? And every day he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get to go to sleep every night thinking my, my, my son thinks I'm going to go hit a, you know, hit a nuke the next day. Um, and so, uh, no, he definitely has a really good understanding of it. He's starting to really, you know, get it. Um, and like I said, he wants to go to the ball field every single day. I mean, he loves it. I just want to put on the record, if I'm LSU, I, I'm starting recruiting your son right now. Just based <laughs> on this guy, this kid loves baseball. He might, honestly, if you put him in the batter's box with me, he might be more, have better projectability than I have in the batter's box. Just based <laughs> off of that. We got some good videos of him. He loves, when I get home from the field every day, he loves spending a lot of time in the house uh, with his bat and ball. And I toss it to him and he hits and runs and acts like he slides. And uh, he's starting to get a pretty good swing. So he, he's starting to get there. Projectability there. 80 grade on my uh, MLB scouting <laughs> chart. So you, you let's talk about your debut. Because Donnie, the Cowboy Walton. By the way, you got to start calling him that in the change room. Because that's something I started. We started calling him the Cowboy. Because okay. he went to Oklahoma State. Anyways, he told a pretty cool story about getting the call to the big leagues. I don't know if you were on this team they surrounded everyone in the change room and said, you're probably going to miss your boy's bachelor party. I think that's how it went. You're Because you have to go to the big leagues. What was your story when you got called to play for the Seattle Mariners in the show? No, yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, – I think it's a little funny. Um, yeah, I mean, it was nothing, like, too crazy. I was uh, I was in AAA. I was in Tacoma. And, um, you know, I had my normal day. I actually got to the field a little earlier that day just because uh, – I was riding with a buddy and we were wanting to get something to eat. So I got to the field probably like an hour earlier than I usually do. 
and you know having that little bit of extra time i actually ended up um ended up getting some food got to the field started eating and you know i had that little bit of extra time so i was like you know what? i'm gonna go get in the hot tub we had a hot tub at the stadium and just chill out and relax for a little bit so i'm uh you know i'm getting undressed and um i'm naked and my hitting coach comes in the clubhouse and he's like hey skip wants to see you uh or not he didn't say skip he was like i want to talk to you um when you're done, come over. And I didn't think anything of it because I'm like, you know, the hitting coach will talk to you. If it's something serious, usually, you know, the skip is the one that wants to talk to you, wants to pull you into the office. So I'm like, ah, eh, you know, it's probably nothing serious. So I put on my leggings, got a towel. So I'm like half naked still with a towel. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's not going to take long. He probably wants to talk about some of that bats from the night before. So I walk over there and I get uh, his office and, uh, and Skip's office is right next to each other. So he starts walking in that direction and, you know, I'm still thinking the same thing. And all of a sudden he takes a quick left turn into Skip's office and I'm like, oh shit, this is going to be awkward. I'm like freaking, I don't even have pants on right now. I don't have a shirt or anything. And I get into, into Skip's office and I'm just you know, standing there half naked and I'm like, so what's going on? And he has the lineup card in front of him and I'm batting lead off that night. And he looks up and he's like, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to take you out of the lineup, and uh-huh. and immediately. So like, whenever I ran all this, you know, because as a baseball player, you've run this scenario through your head a million times, and whenever I ran it through my mind, I always had that you know thought. As soon as anything was said, I would like know immediately. Like, holy crap, it's actually happening. And when he said, yeah, I'm going to have to take you out of the lineup car, I was like, what the? I was like trying to go back, like, what the hell did I do? Did I do something wrong? And he like looked up again, smiled at me, and he was like, you got somewhere else to be, bud. And then that was when it hit me, and I started crying. I started bawling my eyes out. I was like, no, man, you're kidding. This, you're not serious. You're not serious. And he uh, he was like, yeah, dude, you you earned it, and uh, you're headed to Seattle. Um, so he's like, go pack your bags. Go make all the calls you need to make, and you're a big leaguer. And, dude, I freaking lost it. I, you know, I gave him a hug. Uh, again, still half naked. Um, and, <laughs> So I, I, I mean, I just, I, it was such a cool moment, man. I mean, like I said, you play that scenario in your head so many times. And when I was able to go out, um, I went out into the concourse of the stadium where the seats were and just sat out there. And, um, I'm a big believer. I'm a believer in Jesus. So I, I spent um, a little bit of time, quiet time to really thank the Lord and, and just kind of bask in his presence in that moment um, for, you know, something he's given me the ability to, to be blessed with, to experience and then to make that call to my wife was uh, – that was a very, very cool moment. Yeah, and this is something that I wanted to start, but obviously I can't because I'm not a major league wife. This is – someone's going to take this idea. This is this is might be my greatest idea ever. I feel like major league baseball wives should start a podcast and talk about life as a major league Oof. baseball wife. Something up there. Think about that. Oh, Think no, about yeah. that. I obviously can't do it because I'm not a wife, but just maybe throw that, maybe kind of hint at that to your wife, and I'll take a little bit of the credit for it. Oh yeah, of course, I, I 100% agree with that, especially uh, with how big you know podcasts are and, and and are you know continuing to get big with a lot of people listening now. They have a big uh, social media thing. It's called like I, I'm sure you've seen it before, the Wags in Real Life, um, and they have like a big kind of group that they all kind of communicate amongst each other with a lot of stuff and help each other, but. That's a really good idea. They if they got on a podcast and had kind of someone kind of coordinate the whole thing and just talked, had people come on there and talk all the time about you know different scenarios. That would be that would be pretty good. They probably got some really really cool stories, but also very informative as far as you know a lot of you know women that are getting into baseball too. 
Yeah, exactly. Like I said, man, just this it's a JUCO brain, but every once in a while something comes up <laughs> something in. comes up smart here. And that's what happens. So your debut, you play a team that I mean, I don't know what it is. Every time we have a guest on this team, their major league debut is against this team. You debut against Tampa Bay Rays. Describe what your feeling was when you step into that batter's box. You look around. I don't remember the name of the field. What's the name of the Mariners field? Uh, Tropicana. Oh, you mean the... Oh, no, no, you're playing I... Tropicana. Canada. You're, yeah, you're looking around. You see, you're, you're at Tropicana Field facing your former team, may I add. I totally forgot that. What was that like to make your major league debut against the Tampa Bay Rays in Tampa Bay? I mean, it was uh, it was very weird. Um, when I signed out of LSU, I went obviously over to Tampa Bay to sign my contract, and you know, got to see everybody, got the whole tour, and they had like a little kind of office area out in left field um, on like the second the second deck, and it's got windows you see out to you know the entire field and. When I got there and walked out in the dugout, I immediately looked over there because I remember um, three years in uh, back um, when I was signing that contract and looking out that window and being like, "Like, man, I'm going to make my you know big league debut here." Um, obviously, thinking it was going to be with the Rays, and to just kind of be in that moment and realize that you know that still came to fruition, but I was just in the other dugout. Um, was very, very weird and unique um, that it actually ended up playing out that way where obviously, you know, my debut was against, you know, the team that drafted me and the team that traded me away. Um, and it was uh, it, it was pretty cool. But everything kind of sped up a little bit and kind of got really, really focused and serious when I found out I was facing Charlie Morton for my first <laughs> start as well. Yeah, and, and your next game, you face my Toronto Blue Jays, which I offered this to Tyler Glass now. When they face the Blue Jays, I am not a Blue Jays guy. I am a Rays guy. So when you guys face the Blue Jays, you guys come to Toronto, I'm a Mariners guy through and through. Awesome. I'm a Fraley and Donnie, the Cowboy Walton guy, <laughs> when you guys come to Toronto. You're, that's what, you, you get your first hit against the Toronto Blue Jays. Does, do you remember the specific pitch? That was thrown when you got your first hit, and what was running through your head when you're running down the first baseline? Oh yeah, it was uh, it was against Thornton. I mean, I'm never gonna forget this. It was against Thornton, and um, he uh, flipped the curveball um, and left it over the plate a little bit, and I was able to smoke it um, in the right field for for my first hit. I <laughs> I remember making. I mean, getting in the box, you I'd already squared up two balls in Tampa Bay for my first game. Neither one of them hits, um, and I, <laughs> everything in the big leagues is so exaggerated, especially when you first get called up, because every you know everything's going a thousand miles an hour. Um, so after that first game, like obviously, like in your head, and anybody who goes through the same situation, if they don't say they're thinking about it, they're lying to you. But you know, after those two balls that I smoked at Tampa Bay, and then only being one game going into my my second game. I was like, man, am I ever going to get a hit? <laughs> it's only been four at-bats. I'm like, dude, I've had – that because this was toward uh, the end of the year, so I got called up August 21st. So I had already been playing, I mean, freaking February, March, April, May, June, July, um, all of August. And, like, dude, I had stints like 10 at-bats, 15 at-bats without getting a hit. And, like, 
you know, it's just the ups and downs of baseball. It's inevitable. But at that time, I'm like, dear God, am I going to get a freaking hit? It's been four ABs in the big leagues. <laughs> I'm like thinking like, dude, I should have got up there and hit a home run already. And so I, I'm getting up there and it's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, it was my first at bat. And, uh, and like I said, he was, you know, he flipped one over and I was able to, you know, get the barrel on it. And when I got to first base, it was so surreal. My dad was, was able to be there. Um, so he was able to witness it with my wife and my kids. Um, and it was just a, a really, really cool moment. And, uh, the first of many, many, many to come. There it is. And yeah, and. You hate you hate to see it because we actually had Trent Thornton on this podcast two weeks ago. So you just hate to see <laughs> that your first hit off of Trent Thornton. So we got to talk about a prospect of yours that plays for the Mariners. He's a pretty big name, and he's been called out on this podcast to come on it about three times. So this guy better figure it out real quick. I've DM'd him like I'm like I'm a like I'm a high school girl that's, that's attracted <laughs> to him. I've DM'd this guy twice, Jared Kellenick, because this guy mashes baseballs for a living he has a that kind of swagger to him i need him on this podcast what is this guy like this guy just looks like like a charlie sheen of baseball that's what i'll compare him to he's a really good dude um really great guy i mean obviously everybody knows he's a very good ball player um he he's got a really good uh a really good understanding of the game at such a really young age um and I mean, I'm sitting here talking like I'm 35 years old. I mean, I'm 24, so I'm still killing myself. But he, uh, for being, uh, I think he's 20. Uh, for being 20, he's very, very far advanced beyond his years when it comes to baseball. Um, and he's an, I mean, this was my first kind of stint being around him for a majority of time with him being a big league camp. Um, and he's a very, very hard worker. I mean, he's at the field early. He's getting his stuff done. Um, he's trying to get better. Um, you know, all the, the hype that involves his name doesn't really get to him um, like you would think it would uh, at such a young age. You know, that's that's kind of like a hurdle that I don't think he's ever going to have to deal with to get over because he's already kind of on top of that. Um, but you might have to wait a little bit to get him on because he actually had to go home today uh, with uh, he got sent home being sick. We got like a little uh, I don't know if you're, you've been following all the stuff with the coronavirus, but. It's got it's got a lot of clubhouses kind of freaked out, and we actually have uh, like five guys and two staff members that have had to get sent home already. Nothing confirmed coronavirus, but um, I think two of them have flu-like symptoms, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you hate to see that, especially guys in the show. So this is the second last question brought to you by fmruclothing.com. Like, this is the cool thing about this clothing for guys like me and you, Jake, guys that are a little bit more athletic built. I mean, not scared to show the arms off, not scared to show the muscles off. This is online clothes that they measure how you look based off of your smartphone. So your smartphone like kind of takes a picture of you and it measures like what your size would be. It just does it all automatically through a smartphone. I don't know how it does it. I'm not an engineer. I'm not smart, but that's how it does it, which is crazy. So visit fmruclothing.com. Not a big deal. We're sponsored, whatever. But um, this is the question I want to ask. Do you, so do you have a funny story about Donnie the Cowboy Walton that you want to bring up, or are you guys not really that close yet? <laughs> I'm pretty close with Donnie. Um, he... Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of put... It's it's kind of making him a little bit vulnerable. Um, <laughs> he... Uh, he's kind of... <laughs> I mean, it, it was something he had to get fixed uh, this offseason, but lack... So I started in AA in Arkansas with Donnie, um, and I was there for, you know, a few months with him. 
and obviously played with him in the big leagues at the end of the year. Uh, but he, dude, he, he would have this. We, he had like this, like this, like shitting problem. It was like, <laughs> it was like a, it was like a, I don't know if it was like a, a hernia or something that like made him like, like really like bleed out of his ass. And so, like, we would be like in the field all the time, and you would you would see Donnie like like because I'm in you know in the outfield, I'm in center field, left field, right field, wherever I'm playing. And Donnie, you know, he was our shortstop, and you see him like walking around like weird, and like Donnie, what the hell is wrong with you, dude? And he's like, dude, I'm like freaking bleeding out of my ass, and it was like this thing that he just had like this problem that he like he had to like take pills for. Like, I felt horrible for him, but dear God, it was hilarious because like I mean, just and you know Donnie, I mean, you've talked to him, he's just. Donnie's a hilarious dude, especially when you get on the baseball field. And, you know, he's got no, he's got no, you know, limit or, or you know, um, kind of like doesn't care what he says, just kind of like puts it out there. And uh, with that whole aspect, it was, I mean, last year it was hilarious when it involved any of that stuff. <laughs> and just speaking about being sick, I'm kind of like kind of a cold right now. So this is technically my Jordan flu game. This podcast is my Jordan flu game that we're having right now. So if, if this blows up, don't be surprised here. This is the last question because obviously – do you guys play tomorrow? By the way, I, I didn't look that up. I didn't have yeah, time to look it up. Uh, let me check. They have not sent out the lineup yet. If I had to guess because I've been on a normal schedule and I played today. So if I had to guess or assume, I would say I'm not in the lineup tomorrow. Um, but they have not sent out the lineup yet. Okay, so let's let let's let's do something here. I'm gonna hopefully the game's televised because I'll go into this rant later. Rob Manfred is a joke and he doesn't like televising baseball games, making it available to people like me who have nothing better to do than watch baseball. But that's besides the fact. Let's talk about this game after this podcast. This drops tomorrow. Let's talk about your first game back after doing this spiritual podcast here, officially unofficial. I want a this is a request for you. Your first pitch in this game that on Friday, I'm assuming. I want the biggest daddy hack of all time from you. And if this ball's launched, I need you to throw up a six when you touch home plate. Just give a little sh- homage to Toronto. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I got you. I got you. So fans of the podcast, Mariners fans, fans of, I mean, this superstar right here, going to be a superstar. Just expect the first pitch daddy hack from Jake coming, to, coming hot this Friday or Saturday. I'll be tuned in. I'll be dialed in watching this. I'm fired up for it. And uh, there it is. I mean, that's what we're going to be expecting. And hopefully it's a bomb. I mean, if that's a bomb, I should become a major league hitting coach. <laughs> yeah, you, sh- you should have a job immediately. <laughs> so there you have it, man. I mean, this is an electric episode because, like I stated earlier, you're the first father on this podcast. So we can kind of talk about dad strength, go a little bit more into there. And you're kind of a guy that is a little bit slept on because the fact that you turn on 101-mile-an-hour fastballs is – Something that not many people can do, and you're a former LSU guy. You rake there. You hit wherever you kind of go, which is completely opposite of I of me. I didn't hit wherever I went. So this is what kind of makes you elite and great, and I appreciate you doing this, man. I mean, this was a fun interview. This is my Jordan Flu game, and we're going to be expecting a daddy hack Friday. I really appreciate it, man. I really enjoyed it, and uh, when I hit that ball over the fence, I'll make sure to throw up some sixes for you. <laughs> so there you have it, man. We have th- th- That was it with future Seattle Mariner outfielder legend we'll probably get you back on when halfway through the season when you've probably on pace for 40 to 50 bombs this year in the show so uh yeah let's do that man i appreciate you hopping on this awesome man i really appreciate it 
Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Official Unofficial Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you. Mm-hmm.